Yeah, my sermon series now is focused on the armor of God, which is from that Ephesians chapter 6 passage um, that acknowledges that we all are in turmoil in the tug and pull and the spiritual battle of the human heart. All of us within have struggles, not always daily, but occasionally at least, between good and bad, between light and darkness, between God and Satan. And this series acknowledges that and talks about how we can best be prepared to face those challenges and those difficulties along life's way. Uh, the scripture and uh, verse 13 I put up on the screen that kind of sets the tone from this Ephesians passage. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. And it's with that in mind that we will be going through and have already started with the different pieces of armor that he suggests. There's a list of them. Last week we talked about the belt of truth. And this is in imagery of a Roman soldier as Paul saw it sitting in a cell in Rome being guarded. The belt, is, uh, the belt of truth is Jesus Christ, of course, who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And as we put him on, so he makes us uh, to be protected and uh, walking along life's way according to his plan, his will. Today we look at the breastplate of righteousness. And with that in mind, I'm going to read for you from Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. And these are verses also written by the Apostle Paul that are applicable to the breastplate of righteousness. He writes this. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am of the people of Israel. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am a Pharisee in regard to the religious law. As for zeal, I was persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them now garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of truth. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained this, but I have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. That's the word of God for the people of God today. Thanks be to God. 
Bow your heads with me. We'll pray. Oh, God, speak to me that I may hear and through me that we all may hear. And having heard this, your word, make us doers of it and not hearers only. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. So today I'm going to very simply give you answers to three questions about what the breastplate of righteousness is all about. Simple questions trying to make them simple answers, though a somewhat complicated topic. And the first of those questions is, what is it? What is the breastplate of righteousness that Paul is talking about? And I guess it's probably better for me to start here by telling you what it's not, and that is that righteousness is not the self-righteousness that often comes to mind for us when we hear that word. That word has negative overtones. In our culture today, you say righteous, and someone must be trying to tell you that they're better than you are, that they're higher above than you are, or that you're doing something wrong and they're judging you. But that's not what Paul is writing about here. That, that is our default mode, though, as human beings, isn't it, to be self-righteous? It is, because we try to find worth in what we do and who we are, and we try to make it about us. I know I do. Do you? Jesus said that that's something we have to grapple with. It's even sinful to be self-righteous. Not that we can't be proud of what we've done, but he tells that parable, do you remember, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember, it was in worship there at the temple, and, and there were two men, and he was pointing them out to his disciples, and there was the Pharisee, this teacher of the law down front, telling everyone how grand he was and how glad he was. He wasn't like all of the sinful people in the crowd that day or all of those that could be sinful in different kinds of ways. And he was puffing out his chest in pride for the way that he had, well, made himself so Mr. Wonderful. Meanwhile, meanwhile, in the back of the temple, not even, not even comfortable going close to the front where the altar was, there was this tax collector, which was like the shameful job of 2,000 years ago in Rome. And instead of talking about how great he was and crowing, he's sobbing and crying. He's even just beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful on me because I'm a sinner. Such humility and conviction of him. And Jesus says that tax collector is the one who went home justified, meaning that he was more righteous than the Pharisee. And what's fascinating is that Paul says in this armor of God, this breastplate of righteousness, he's talking about something he personally knows a whole lot about because he too is a Pharisee. He's a teacher of the law. And he, in the Philippians passage, you heard it, he, he crowed about his pedigree, about his being raised up in the children of Israel, being of a certain tribe, and, and being just top-notch in the leadership of, of the hierarchy of synagogue and, and temple life. But he realized, in a very dramatic way, when God flashed a light upon him and spoke his name, 
he realized that self-righteousness was a dead-end road in which there was no fulfillment, no purpose, and no love. And so Paul had, in that come-to-Jesus meeting, a realization that he needed God's righteousness in his life and not his own. And so recognize that when he speaks of it, he's not talking about self-motivation and self-fulfillment of, of being good and right, but he's speaking about the cross of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that in the Philippians passage? He talked about he wanted to be suffering as Christ suffered so he could understand and recognize the, the sacrifice that God made at the cross so that he could be forgiven of his sins and be made right in the eyes of God. And really, that's true for all of us, isn't it? That we are made righteous, not by our own acts, but by the cross of Christ, not because of our sacrifice, but because of what, what God himself, his son in the flesh, made at the cross. He died there that we could be forgiven and given second chances, that we could be made right in the eyes of God when, when we've done so much wrong to be discredited. None of us are worthy. And yet through the cross of Christ and faith in him, we receive that righteousness. You heard Nancy read that, that passage from Exodus about Aaron, the high priest in the tabernacle. There, This is in the early days of the Israelites coming out of Egypt of, of their worship. And they're told to put together a breast piece for him to wear. Did you hear what was supposed to be woven into that and, and the different parts of it? He would wear this to go into the temple to make sacrifice. And why would the high priest make sacrifice? Why, to forgive the sins of God's people, the Israelites. And he goes in with, with rep representations in that breast piece of the 12 tribes of Israel his family, what's most near and dear to him, God's family, his ancestors, his brothers, the tribes of Israel. That's his family, and he is taking them with him to approach God and say, could you forgive us of our unrighteousness and make us right once again? That's what Jesus has done for us, for the world, at the cross on which he died. And that is the righteousness that Paul is writing about. You know, when you walk out the doors today and you go out into the world and to work or to school or wherever it is that you're going, you should go out walking tall. You should go out with a sense of pride and, and maybe even swagger. And I'm not saying because you're all that in a bag of chips, as Miss Betty used to say, but you, as you put on and wear the righteousness of God, you walk out of this place set free to go and live and serve and love in the joy that comes, plain and simply, from being bought with a price. What is this breastplate of righteousness? It is, it is righteousness from God through the cross. The next question is, why do I need it? Why do you need, why do I need a breast piece of righteousness? Well, let's talk about the purpose, quickly, of of what for the Roman guard, the Roman soldier, the breastpiece was, the breastplate. It had no arms, so it was mainly a protection for the torso area. 
it would be kind of like, in Paul's imagery, spiritual Kevlar for what military and police officers would wear to protect themselves from, from bullets that would be flying. This breastplate was made of metal so that it could deflect a sword or a knife to blow on the battlefield. It protected the most vulnerable area of the soldier, as we can imagine any blow to that area would be important. But most of all, and this is what you need to hear, most of all, it would protect the human heart, which if blown or hit in battle, causes sure and certain death very quickly. So this breastplate of righteousness protects the human heart just as a piece of armor would protect physically the human heart, but on a spiritual level. So let's talk about hearts for just a moment today, because in the, in the biblical world, and I'm talking 2,000 years ago and back when the scriptures were written, it was believed that the human heart was the seat of everything uh, that us people, human beings, had going for us. They really didn't understand what the brain was for. They didn't think it had much function in daily life. Um, I think it was Aristotle said it was meant to cool the human body and the, the hot blood that the, blo uh, that the heart beat and sent coursing through the veins. The human heart was considered by the Egyptians in the ancient world to be the seat of all intelligence. A physician, Roman physician, Galen, said that the physical heart was the source of all the passion and, and, and joy and emotions of the human being. Uh, even even um, the Israelites believed that all thought and intelligence, all feeling and emotion came from the human heart. It's what kept us alive, but also what made us live or not live. And Paul is saying in the scripture that as we put on the breastplate of righteousness, so God will protect our hearts from those things that would destroy us spiritually. What is it in your heart that is most important? What do you hold dearest and what is elevated above all things? Because we have a hierarchy, you know. No, I'm not talking about the church. and I'm not talking about government and structures. I'm talking about in, in your heart, in my heart, we all have an order, pecking order, of what we love the most, what we love the second most, and on down. And if we want to know what that is, we simply look at what we spend our resources on. Our time and our affection and our attention and our money, what is it that we spend it on? Most often that's what our passion is, what we love the dearest and most. What in our human hearts is, is most important? And is it the righteousness, the love of God given to us that reigns there? There are within our hearts um, all kinds of things that we, we hide there, that we value there, that we need to be aware of and be mindful of. The innermost thoughts and parts of our human soul, which was considered to be in the heart also in biblical times. A few scriptures about the value of the human heart and the spiritual value of it. Uh, Luke 6.45, where Jesus says, Good people do good things because they come out of 
the good that is in their hearts. And he says also that bad people do bad things because of the, the evil that comes out of their hearts. And as the mouth speaks, so that is what the heart is full of. It is important for us to guard our human hearts and keep there what is most important above all. And for followers of Christ, it is the love of God and the righteousness we receive through Jesus Christ. There are uh, lies, and this is where Paul comes into the, the battle aspects. There are lies that we harbor in our hearts and think about. At least I know I do sometimes, that are meant to tear me down. Doubts and lies of Satan, the opposing force to the love of God that makes me doubt and even despair whether God is real or God's plan includes me. Have you ever thought these things before? That you're never going to be good enough? Or that your sins maybe are not forgiven? Have you ever had the, the thought in your head before that, that you really are just flesh and blood and, and there is nowhere that you're going to go after you die in this life? Have you ever before had the doubt or the worry that maybe those that have gone before you that, that you hope to see again one day in the afterlife, have you ever had the, the doubt that maybe that's not real or they won't be there? All of these things are things meant to tear us down and, and break our faith and our understanding in a God that loves us and has made promises to us and has gone to the ends of the world to make those doable. He loves to rattle skeletons in our closet and to, to dredge up our shame and guilt for the things we've done in the past. Satan loves to rob the simple joy that comes in trusting in Christ. His end game is to destroy and destruct our, our faith. And he loves stirring up envy and jealousy in our hearts because it makes us not love people but hate them and push them away instead. It's important for us to guard what is in our hearts and, and the love of Christ that God has shown to us needs to reign supreme there because otherwise we will find ourselves on a path to destruction, as Paul did, as he was going about living a religious life without the love of God that was pertinent for that. The holiness of heart, John Wesley, founder of Methodism, wrote about, and he used Christian perfection to talk about the end game of the Christian, which is to become more holy like Christ in our heart. Now that, I'm not fooling anyone here, and I'm certainly not fooling myself, that does not mean that we will go on and never sin again or never slip up and make any mistakes. But it does teach us that inwardly we are called to live a life that is without sin and pure, just as Christ was pure. As we invite him to dwell more within us, as the Holy Spirit fills us up more fully, when we have less space and less room for those other things that are of darkness and of the devil and not of light and life. The Christian lives out a goal of trying to be more perfect 
as Christ was perfect, as Jesus commanded. Day after day, week after week, to grow in maturity year after year, decade after decade, so that when the end of your life comes, you will be prepared and more ready to go and meet the one and the ones that you desire to see. One last question that I'll answer, and it's simple, and hopefully the answer is simple as well. How do we put on this breastplate of righteousness? It's not, of course, you know, a physical thing that you put on like a, like a soldier would or like a police officer would Kevlar, but it is something that intentionally we have to put on and choose to put on. We talked about last week putting on the belt of truth, which is Jesus. Today we're talking about putting on and around us this breastplate of righteousness. And it's important for us to put it on, and it plain and simply comes through faith, through trust in God, that he wants to go with us and protect us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in the week to come that you can have spiritual power when you're faced with challenges and temptations and struggles? You should believe that and be confident in that. Because of the cross, you should have blessed assurance of knowing that Jesus is yours and all of his promises are sure. You should walk tall, long strides, comfortably, confidently, knowing no matter what comes at you, you don't need to fret because God is there with you and, and he has it. He's fighting the ultimate battle. You're not. It's easy for us to think that in self-righteousness that somehow we've got to take on and conquer the world. And it's just not true because the world has already been conquered. It may not seem like it at times, and it's not as conquered as it will be when Christ comes in his fullness and his kingdom reigns on earth as it is in heaven. But every day there is a breastplate of righteousness that can go with you if you say yes. It gives us great confidence and great peace in trusting Christ. I'm a big fan of the Andy Griffith Show. How many Andy Griffith Show fans? Yeah, it took a few of you to warm up there. Yeah, it's hard to find Andy Griffith on anymore. You have to intentionally seek it out because it's a 1960s black and white episode or a TV show. And I guess the reason I love it is because I'm 1960s as well. And I grew up with it, watching it every day. And I don't know if it's the, the life lessons or, or the characters and how they're so beautifully cast or, or the writing of the show that always seems to be great. I love the humor, though. It makes me laugh because it's pure, clean, and simple humor. It's good family fun to watch Andy Griffith. One of the funniest characters, and I imagine you've already guessed, if you've watched it before, is Ernest T. Bass. Ernest T. Bass, played by Howard Morris, uh, he was a classically trained actor uh, who went on to direct numerous episodes of the show and do many other things, but he played one of the kookiest, most backcountry stupidest characters in Ernest T. Bass. 
as Barney would say about him, he's a nut. And it was true in every, every role that he played as Ernest T. Bass. There was one episode I watched recently called Ernest T. Bass Joins the Army. You may not remember it, but there's a recruiter in town from the Army, and Ernest T. Bass decides to go show up with all of these other young men to, to see if he can join the Army, and he's asked questions that he can't half answer. He is examined by the medical examiner and, and makes light of what he's doing and causes all kinds of trouble, and eventually, because he's such an impulsive person, Ernest T. Bass causes a fight with all the other guys that are there. And Andy and Barney are summons. They have to keep the peace. They take Ernest T. Bass and put him in the jail. And he's locked up there because he's being a troublemaker, as he often would be. You remember, he's the one that would throw the rock through the windows in town just to get a kick. Well, it came to the conclusion of the episode. And, and really, as Andy often does, Andy figured out the issue and the problem, and he solved it as a good sheriff would, right? He realized that Ernest T. Bass really did not want to join the Army in the first place. Plain and simple, he just wanted one of those uniforms. Yeah, he wanted to show everybody that he was a part of something bigger and greater, Uncle Sam. And he wanted something to wear around the ladies so that they would notice him a little bit more. And so Andy, in his wisdom, got for Ernest T. Bass a, a uniform of sorts that was a close enough knockoff that he was smiling proud and walked confidently and tall and joyfully out of the jail and went back out into the world. And that's what Jesus offers to us. A tool, a breastplate of righteousness that reminds us deep in our heart of hearts that everything he has done and promised is for us. And if we will walk in that confidence and not allow the doubts, the temptations, the struggles of life to pull us down, then we will be spiritual victors by his grace and in this life. Jesus is our Savior. He is the one that gives to us this armor that we so need and that we desire to be able to live in a right relationship with God through his righteousness alone and not our own. So this morning, I'll offer a prayer as we close. If you'd bow your heads, please. Lord, stir within our hearts your presence, help us to examine all that we hold dear there. Help us to deal with what we need to deal with to put you back atop the list and to allow your fullness to dwell. Lord, whatever it is that's keeping us from it, show us a way today. Help us to have faith, to trust you, and to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.